Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoy this week's homily. I was having a conversation with Brett the other day, a guy that's a part of our community, and we were talking about different prank wars that he has been participating in in his own office setting. And the other day he said, um, it, it, was a, it was a few years back before there were the, the massive weight limits on your carry-on luggage kind of thing. And somebody within his office had stuffed, so he's a, he's a CPA, had stuffed all of these IRS books into his carry-on luggage and while he was in the office. And so as he's making his way to the airport, he's like, gosh, this, I didn't realize I packed so much. He thought it was just super heavy. He, he gets all the way to his hotel on the other side of the world when he was in London, opens up the suitcase, and lo and behold, there are just book after book after book of all of these like laws for the IRS. Like, prank wars can go really far and can do a lot of really crazy cool stuff. I remember getting into one with a coworker that just kept going round and round and round and round and round again and it just would not stop like it would not end until i ended it pretty awesomely right so like he had taken like a baby diaper from like one of the kids areas and stuffed it in my heater in my office and so I walked into my office that morning and was just hit with this stench. He had done it the night before. It was in the middle of the winter. And like I was nailed with like this horrific stench. I mean, it was just so bad. But I found it immediately because like, okay, like good on you. So I decided we're going to do something fairly similar, but he's not going to know that there's something rotting away in his office. And so I, I, we had just gotten done with a cookout and there was a pack of hot dogs that was left. And I took the hot dogs and I opened up the Ziploc because it's the Oscar Mayer wieners, right? And they always come in the little Ziploc bags. I took it and I just peeled it just a little bit so that a little bit of smell would like emanate, right? And I stuffed it, like I pushed one of the tiles and the ceilings up and over and just set it up there and then pushed it back and down. And no big deal, right? One week passes and all of a sudden there starts, you'd walk into his office and you'd be like, Something smells a little foul, but it wasn't terrible. Like, you could just smell it. And he had this fish tank in his office. And he was like, he was like, oh, yeah, I just need to clean my fish tank. I was like, you should probably get on that, right? Like, it's really bad. And so, like, he, he would start to clean it out. And two weeks pass by, and the smell is getting even worse. And you can just see him in there. He, one day, he, like, empties out his entire fish tank, has everything. He's, like, rubbing at it, like just cleaning it really good to make sure that the smell would be gone. Like, so you have now this smell of like, like cleaning chemicals up, up in his office now, right? Like try, masking the smell that is just falling from the ceiling, like just like masking everything up. And he, he gets his fish back in there. Everything survived, thankfully. And he, he puts it back in, in the corner. And the next day I come into his office, I'm like, bro, your office stinks. Like, what is that? He goes, I just cleaned up my fish tank. I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know where that smell is coming from. I was like, you'd better find it because that is awful. Like, and so our offices shared a wall and it had started to come. Like, it, the smell was so bad that I would walk by his office and have to close the door because it was emanating out into the hallway, right? And it was starting to seep through the wall that we shared. And I was like, oh, this, is, this has gone on a little too long. We're talking three months. 
three months of this stench and of the smell that he couldn't find. One day he finally goes into his office, he's like, I'm going to find the smell. He's like pulling off heaters and everything, just can't find it at all until he decides, I wonder, maybe somebody threw something up in the roof. Maybe there's a dead rat up there. Maybe there's like a squirrel that got in, whatever. So he gets on top of his desk and pushes it away. And the, the, the tile that he had moved made it fall from the ceiling. And the hot dog juice and maggots went everywhere, right? Maggots. Yeah, prank wars are awesome right? They're awesome. And they have this sort of cyclical effect that take place in them where you want to get the other person back because there's no way that it's going to end with you being the butt of the prank, right? So you're going to one-up them over and over and over and over again ad nauseum <laughs> until somebody takes it too far and maggots fall out of the ceiling, right? <laughs> like, that's kind of how prank wars seem to work. Well, Jesus has a lot to say about not prank wars, but the idea of retribution, of cyclical violence, and of cyclical, the cyclical nature of things. We've been talking about God of the past six weeks. We've been talking about who is this God, who is this Jesus, and we've been talking about that Jesus is a God of love, he's a God of grace, and we've been talking that Jesus is also a God of mercy. Well, in Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus sitting with a large throng of people that have come from all over the nation of Israel. They have just come from far and wide. So they've come from Tidon and Sire, which are on the coast. They've come from down in Jerusalem. They've come from everywhere, from every corner of Jerusalem. They have come into this place to listen, to hear him teach, and to see him perform some miracles. Jesus has been performing miracles left and right. People are getting healed and like, dude, we got to go see this. Let's, let's go see this thing. And you know, he tells a good story, so let's go listen to that too. Let, let's go be a part of this thing. And so they have flooded and flocked into this place. Now, this is typically understood as the Sermon on the Plain, which is different than the Sermon on the Mount. But the content between the two are really similar. So Jesus taught a lot of the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again because it took a long time for people to kind of understand what it was that he was talking, how he was kind of talking about things really fascinating, really interestingly. And so there's all these people that have come together. And Jesus starts to address them in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Love 
your enemies. Jesus talks about this, and, and, and here's what's so beautiful about this idea of what Jesus is doing here, is all of these people have come from far and wide, and the crowd is as diverse as you could imagine. It's as diverse as you would expect. It's people that are, that are uh, like considered unclean and those that are considered clean. It's religious leaders and those who have no religious affiliation whatsoever, but have come to kind of experience and see who this Jesus is and experience and see what it is that he is doing in all of these miracles. It is people that are healed and people that are not healed and people that want to get healed and those that aren't necessarily there to be healed. It's all of these people in this one place and there are even some Roman centurions that have made their way into the crowd, the enemies of everyone that's in this place. Because the nation of Israel at this point has been uh, laid under oppression. Like they are they're under the thumb of the Roman government, the Roman Empire, and there's all these people there that are just really frustrated, really angry, and really upset at what is, being happen- is, what is happening to them. The, the, the tax rates and all of these things that are happening, they're just really frustrated and really angry. And here is Jesus saying, love your enemies. And, and in some ways, he's, he's speaking in coded language to them, saying, I want you to love the, the Roman government as well. I want you to love these people that you consider to be your enemies. Love them and pray for them. Here's what's really hard about that. We're kind of wired, hardwired to get the last say. We're kind of hardwired to get the last laugh, to get the last dig, to always be the last one that's right in any given situation, right? And no one is above that, right? Just this past week, Jeff can attest to this, I got kicked out of my very first Little League game. I just got kicked out. Like, I got kicked out for arguing balls and strikes. I got, I got, I, I got mad. I got mad, and I laid into the umpire and just yelled at him. Like, of course I was calm at first, but then I laid into him later after he threw me out of the game, right? I laid into him, and I yelled at him, and I just wouldn't let it go until I finally did let it go and walk off the field. No one's above this kind of thing, and whether my behavior was appropriate or not, that's debatable, right? That's debatable. That pause was there for you to decide. But, but like all of these sorts of things that we are expected to love are enemies, those that are there to kind of push against what we think is right and what is wrong. But here's what I find really fascinating about this passage. When Jesus says, love your enemies, when he talks about loving your enemies and praying for them, there, there's a theologian that says that, that when we're praying for our enemies, what we're doing first and foremost, his name's Eugene Peterson, he says that what we're doing first and foremost when we're praying for our enemies is that we're actually praying for the hatred to be removed from ourselves. That when we're praying for our enemies, when we pray for them, we're actually asking God in a roundabout sort of way to remove that hatred from our own hearts and our own lives, to let that be the first thing that goes away. The other thing he says is when you're, when you're praying for your enemies, when you're actually praying for those who are against you and opposing you, that what we're actually doing is trying to make them no longer our enemies. And when we no longer have them as our enemies, we have them only as friends. That what we do when we approach our enemies is we don't go through this cycle of cyclical violence of like continuing to to find retribution after retribution after retribution and continuing this cycle in this circle of hatred, this cycle in this circle of pain. 
But what we're doing is we are actually inserting ourselves into that and saying, no, mercy matters more. And what we're going to do right here and right now is stop this. Mercy is actually a weapon. Mercy is a weapon in the cyclical nature of violence, in the cyclical nature of hatred towards one another. Mercy is the weapon that puts a stop to that system and says no more. What we're going to do is we're going to find peace. We're going to find shalom. We're going to find wholeness in this place, in this space. We're going to put an end to it and begin to move forward in a new way and in a new relationship with one another. That's mercy. That's what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he found himself in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was praying all night long, and his friends, his closest friends, 11 of the 12 disciples had fallen asleep on him time and time again. And he approached them and he said, Hey guys, this is kind of a big night for me. Um, I would love it if you didn't sleep and you would actually stand watch with me. If you would actually just pray with me. You do remember that just a little while ago I told you that someone was going to betray me and it was actually one of you guys in this place and that it was going to happen real soon. Like, I would love for you to stand watch with me, pray with me, help me in and through this. And they kept falling asleep over and over and over throughout the course of the night. But Jesus prayed throughout the evening. Judas shows up with all of these uh, guards, with, with all of these, these soldiers have, have, have followed Judas as he begins this act of betrayal. And what does he do? He kisses Jesus as a symbol and as a sign of saying, like, this is the guy. This is the guy. And so the guards go in to seize Jesus. And Peter, Peter grabs a dagger. So Peter was a zealot. And a zealot was kind of a, a, a political sort of affiliation where he was like, down with the Roman Empire. We want nothing to do with him. They're all our enemies. And we're going to start this massive revolution. And we're going to fight to the death. And that's how it's going to be until either Israel is is saved from this oppression or we're all dead. One of the two things is going to happen. And so when he sees Jesus get seized, he pulls this dagger that he kind of hides on his person and he swats at the guy, one of the soldiers that has Jesus and chops off his ear. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus says, Peter, what are you doing? That's not cool. That's not good. Those that live by the sword will die by the sword, and has Peter slide the dagger away. And then he grabs the ear that has been lopped off and is on the ground. He picks up the ear and he reattaches it to the man's head. He reattaches it to the side of his face. This is Jesus inserting himself, this act of mercy, of loving his enemies, even though his, he knew what his enemies were going to do with to him. He was stopping the cycle of violence. He was stopping it right there. All of that anger, all of that hatred was being cut right there in that moment. It was over. This is what mercy looks like, is it's us inserting ourselves into this cycle of violence in such a way that it ends, that it stops, that it doesn't go anymore that there's no more retribution, that there's no more, there's no more vengeance, there's no more revenge. It ends and it stops. And a new type of relationship can begin to form, one that is no longer opposed to one another, but one that is coming together in wholeness and in peace and in love and in grace 
all because of the weapon of mercy that has been deployed to stop the cycle. This is what Jesus calls us to. And this is not the only time that Jesus preached this. He preached this in the Sermon on the Mount. He preached it through example with Peter. He All over the place. This was Jesus' role. He was saying, no, 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 no. There shall be no more separation between each other. Martin Luther King uh, said this, Love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. Now, this is in the book, In a Single Garment of Destiny, a global vision of justice. However, he, this is just a recording of one of the speeches that he gave. This quote comes right after his house was bombed. King had received multiple threats throughout the course of his life. His house had been bombed with, with his children, no longer not in the house, occupied. His family wasn't in the house at the time, but his house was destroyed, and great precious things could have been lost. His family, his children, all of those things. And his response was this, love. Love is my response. Love is how I am going to treat everyone. Love is how I am going to pursue everyone from this point on. Because it's the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. He gets this from the life of Jesus. He gets this from the Sermon on the Plain, this, this Luke chapter 6 passage, that it's all about zeroing in our new focus on the people that are around us into this focus of love, this focus of care. This focus on who they are and how Jesus wants us to interact with everyone that's around us. Because he reminds us, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, he reminds us that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Once we were these enemies to God, but because of what Jesus did, and, and, and not just because of what Jesus did, but what God did before Jesus, God said, I am going to send Jesus into this world. I'm going to stop this cycle of violence that is taking place between us. This anger, this enmity, this animosity, this hatred that we have against one another. I'm going to put a stop to the cycle with Jesus. He sends him into the world, and because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, heaven and earth have, been come, have come together. A, a friend of mine, his name is Waylon, he's an Anglican priest, said that, that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it was the nailing of heaven and earth together. That heaven and earth were being nailed together in that moment. That all of the separation that existed between us and God, all of the separation that existed between us and Jesus, all of the separation that exists between each other in interpersonal relationships, the separation that exists here in our understanding of who we are and our own identity, all of those things are being nailed right there into the cross and there shall be no more separation. Once we were alienated from God, but through Christ's physical body, his death, his sacrifice, and his resurrection, we are now able to walk into this new way of being. And because of that sacrifice, we too get to walk in a new way of how we interact with each other. How we interact with each other. I told you that I got kicked out of a baseball game, um, and I yelled an awful lot at that umpire. 
I mean, I yelled a lot. But it didn't just create any animosity between us and the umpire. It actually created other sorts of pain and other sorts of tension that took place in other relationships as, it, as the dominoes sort of fell as a result of my actions. Right? So like the dominoes started to fall. So I blew up at an umpire. All of my anger was directed at an umpire, but it created other springs, other fingers of, of, um, of, of separation in relationship, other animosity sorts of relationships. Right? So uh, the, the relationship between myself and the other coach, the, the, the opposing coach, is kind of in a very tense sort of place at the moment. And so it's walking through that, working through how that looks like. He sent me an email this morning, of which I have not read yet, but I will this afternoon and find a good way to respond, a healthy way to respond, a way that is not continuing the cycle of retribution, right? Of, of not wanting that animosity to remain, but to find a way to where togetherness can, can, can happen, right? It, creates, it created animosity between me and one of my coaches, Right? Like there was like a, just a disagreement in how things had been handled, a disagreement with how things were going, and having to smooth that out, talk that through, and find a good way to move forward, right? So that there, it wasn't a severed relationship or a severed thing that, that pushes forward, but a new way to kind of come together. There's certainly probably more than likely 100% of animosity between me and the ump, but I don't know if I'll ever see him again. I don't know how to get a hold of him, right? So there can't be, <laughs> there can't be things there, but, but this is what Jesus calls us to do is in the midst of these things where we screw up or someone screws up against us, that we admit it, we own it, and we begin to walk in a new way to find that togetherness, to find that peace, to find that wholeness, and to give mercy in such a way that we then can move forward. In many respects, in the, in the ejection story, so to speak, I am the one that is asking for mercy, right? It is me that is finding that sense of mercy, find, like, like asking for it and, and, and having it there, right? Like the, I am on the receiving end of mercy in many ways. And there will be other times and other positions and other places that I will be the one that is expected to give mercy. We all are on one side or the other of that coin, expected to give or to receive mercy. And Jesus asks us not only to deploy that weapon for the sake of others, but asks us to also be in a position to receive that weapon so that it stops as well. Over and over and over, the cycle of violence continues, whether it's animosity, whether it's anger, whether it's hatred. It continues over and over and over and over. And Jesus calls us, his children, his people, to be the ones that step in and end it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. That is our role. That is a responsibility. That is who we are as a people is Jesus expects us to step into those places and put an end to the cycle of violence everywhere that we go. Once we were alienated from God, and once other people were alienated from us, but because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, and because of what he does, that, that anger, that enmity, that enemy status can end and can be put to rest. This is why we celebrate communion every single week as a church, as a community, as a people, is it's an opportunity to remember that the body and the blood of Jesus were broken and shed, that we can find healing in our relationship with God, but that also we can have healing in relationship with each other.
One, one of the beautiful things about communion is that it's one loaf. It's one loaf. One loaf. And when we tear it and we pull a chunk out of it, we're remembering that we are a part of this one loaf, that we are a part of this one body, this one thing, that we are all in this thing together, no matter what our relationship is to one another. We may have enemies or anger or hatred in this space, in this place. There might be animosity towards someone, but we are reminded continually and consistently that this loaf of bread is one thing and that we are all a part of that one thing. It is a unity picture, a unity piece, a unity place that is bought and purchased for us through the sacrifice of Jesus. So what I want us to do is what we do every week, is to come forward and take from the bread the one loaf. So come and rip a chunk out of it and dip it in the juice and then return back to your seats. And then together as a church, as a people, we will participate in this act of communion together. We'll remember the sacrifice of Jesus and what it means for us to be one people. What it means for us to not only be one people in this room and one people with other Christians around this world and around, um, and, and around the city and around this country and around this world, but also one with the people that are around us, that we too can find healing from everything that seeks to separate us and push us away. So when you're ready, please come. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.